Thanks for tapping into The Shift is Real, a podcast where we have casual conversations about growth, discuss stories of personal transformation, and share moments of insight. I'm your host, Tiffany Wright. I'm so grateful to have you on this journey and excited to talk about these shifts. So let's get into it, y'all. Please be advised, explicit language may be used. Hey, y'all. Thanks for tapping into another episode of The Shift is Real. I'm your host, Tiffany Wright. And as always, I'm super grateful to share this space with you. So let's get into the shifts and transformations. I know it's been a couple of weeks since our last episode. I've had so much going on and I'm constantly working on creating space for myself. So in life, I've definitely always been a really ambitious person and I am really good at committing to things that I say I'm going to do. When I say I'm going to do some, I'm going to do it. Then sometimes life happens and I will still say, well, I made a commitment to myself, so I'm going to do that. And what I've been working on for some time is learning like it's okay or allowing myself to remember that it's okay to not do things. It's okay to pause. It's okay to stop. And so after I came back from vacation, which was when I did the last podcast episode, I had a lot of grief stuff come up. Whew, yeah, had a lot of grief stuff come up um, in November for me. And then I was just kind of processing some stuff and, you know, things just get busy around the holidays. But I'm excited to come back and resume. So with that said, I'll actually be dropping four episodes. <laughs> um So this is one of four episodes. I'm basically making up for the weeks um, because I can do that and I want to do that. And I'm in a very clear space. It's important to me for me when I am creating content that I'm in the kind of space that I feel comfortable being in mentally and spiritually because um energy is transmitted. And so if I'm not in the best space and I record something or make something, I feel like it can come across. And that could just be in my head. That could just be my intuitive um, state, but that that's how I feel. So I like to give myself space. So we left off on honor thy mind. Um, If you're tapping into this for the first time, I've been doing a self-love series centered around my book, The Five Commandments of Self-Love. And I love the book for myself, but I love it for you too. And the book was published in 2019. It took me about four, four and a half years to write 
And it is really a collection of both psychoeducation, professional experiences, professional experiences, um, personal experiences that really came together in this, I don't know, not memoir style book, but just like a guide for someone embarking on their self-love journey. And so the book breaks down five commandments of self-love, which are to honor thyself, honor thy mind, honor thy spirit, and practice forgiveness both towards self and others. So going through the book, which is available on Amazon, you can go ahead and cop that. Um, or Target.com or BarnesandNobles.com. You can also get it on Kindle. Read along with me. But I've basically been choosing an excerpt or two from each chapter or section. And, you know, just going through it with y'all. So today (laughs) we are going to be talking about honor that body. Now, little information about this. This was actually the last section of the book that I worked on. I feel like maybe I had the most lessons to learn around this. Um, And so maybe I had to go through a lot of different experiences to be able to contribute to this section. But I am... Oh, very cognizant in understanding how impactful the body is when it comes to us relating to ourselves or being able to embrace self-love, aka acceptance and unconditional positive regards for ourselves. Because the body is often the first aspect of us that we can tap into to connect to identity, right? Um, The mind is a little bit more elusive. The spirit is absolutely a little bit more elusive. But the body is the vessel that carries us. It's the vessel that people judge the most, that people talk about the most. It's the most tangible part of ourselves that we relate to, that we criticize, that we judge, that we adorn, whatever the case, right? And so our relationship with our body can be really complex. Before I begin reading, what I want you to understand is honoring thy body is so multi-layered. It speaks to what you do to your body, what you put on your body, what you allow in your body, what you say to your body, how you treat your body, okay? And this is people, this is chemicals, this is nutrients, this is um, the environment you put your body in, these are the clothes that you wear, these are, you know, the hygiene products that you wear, Um, This is the hygienic practices and regimens that you have. 
But honoring thy body is so multifaceted. And oftentimes when people are speaking about esteem and self-love when it comes to the body, they are often just limiting it to, or primarily limiting it to what you um, think about your aesthetics. And it is so much more than that. So today um, I'm going to be reading a couple of different <sighs> excerpts, okay? So start with a couple of deep breaths. Mm. All right. Are you ready? Okay, so let's start with page 140. If you have the book, we're going to start with the hidden body. Okay. Within our bodies lies intricate systems of cells, nerves, vessels, organs, and bones. Every aspect of our physiology serves a purpose and supports our overall well-being. Our bodies are built to function without our conscious efforts. The intricacy is complex, and this is why understanding how healing the body isn't as simple as having a selective diet. Now, pause. I'm using this phrase diet to refer to any choices that you make when it comes to uh, eating or nourishing your body. Okay. I'm not speaking, using the term in reference to a regimented program based off of restriction and rules and et cetera. Okay. So I'm speaking to your diet, not a diet. Okay. And I think that that's really important to distinguish because in the U.S. at least, we as a culture are so um, so brainwashed to follow diet culture. This is good. This is bad. You should eat this. You should not eat this. This trend will do this to you and this trend will do that. And so as we talk about the body, I want to ahead of time just encourage you if you have any sensitivities to hearing about the body in general and certain things that may cause um, really difficult emotional connections to the body, like food or sexual assault, um, this may not be an episode for you, okay? Um, do not want to trigger you, so I'm just giving that warning now. When it comes to our relationships with our bodies and what healthy looks like, a Western lens would often emphasize diet, movement, and possibly self-perception. However, our bodies and what occurs within them is a reflection of so much more. There's often a misunderstanding that health can be determined by looking at someone. Sure, there are many outward manifestations of what's going on on the inside, but there's so much more that you don't see and that your eyes would deceive you into believing. 
So what, what am I meaning by that? Well, going back to the idea that a lot of our complexity around our relationship with ourselves and practice of self-love has to do with the body. If you're in a society or a part of a culture that is very judgmental and critical around the body based off of particular markers of health, it it can be imprisoning, but it can also be very inaccurate, okay? I mean, I know people who are in larger bodies or maybe in average size bodies and they go into the doctor for a checkup for something and then the doctors automatically, first thing they say to them is to lose weight. And it's like, what? Like, why are you bringing my weight into this automatically, okay? Um, we live in a very fat phobic society we live in a, even though within the last couple of years, you have a lot of people getting these cosmetic procedures to um, expand, enlarge in certain aspects of their body, there is still a baseline acceptance of what it means to be in a smaller body, okay? And sometimes people are, Oftentimes, people are judged just by their body type and their body size. And it's inaccurate. You can't always tell what's going on with someone by looking at them. I'm not saying that you can't tell at all because there are definitely different forms of um, medicine where you can observe someone's tongue or look into their eyes or even pay attention to you know, their skin complexion, their teeth, et cetera, to give some insight into what's going on with their health, okay? I want to explore the facets of the hidden body, okay? So these are the parts of you that people don't see, but it very much still exists within you. It's the part that cannot be seen, but is also a consistent part of your health and well-being. When we speak of honoring that body, it's important to understand the complexity of your body and how you can build a positive and intuitive relationship with it. When you are in tune with your body, you can be aware of what the hidden body is telling you. Everybody has a state of homeostasis or baseline functioning balance. When our bodies fall below or rise above the homeostasis, there are indicators that we can feel or see if we are alert and aware In efforts of exploring the hidden body, it's also important to note that one of the greatest impacts of what homeostasis looks like for one person versus another is not only impacted by basic biology and lifestyle, but largely by their emotional body and the experiences they have lived through or been subjected through via DNA. The body holds on to all emotional experiences in memory in a narrative, and in cellular reproduction. Shall I repeat that? Oh, I shall. The body holds on to all emotional experiences in memory, in narrative, and in cellular reproduction. What does that mean for you? Now, it holds on to it, but you can definitely release it. But it's important to know that what you feel 
is absorbed in your body, okay? It's absorbed. It's absorbed. Any experiences of trauma, whether by direct impact or through observation, vicarious or secondhand exposure, impacts your body. So to honor your body means also to be connected to the experiences within your emotional body and be intentional with how you nurture and show gentleness to your emotional body. Listen, yeah, you can heal things, but also don't be around shit and or people that's fucking constantly activating you. You got to find a balance. You got to find a balance. Because what you may consciously know is safe and okay, your body may not be regulated enough because the brain is just sending it different signals. Now, of course, in therapy, we have something called like exposure therapy, where when people are intensely phobic um, of something, so when they're afraid of something, we use something called exposure therapy, right? So that would be an instance where, yeah, you are operating in a place of fear and your body is going to break down and it is reacting and it is trying to protect itself. So you're going to get really anxious going into this situation, you know, um, approaching something that would typically cause a great amount of discomfort. And it's up to you to know the difference between being around certain people or being in certain environments where it is going to be beneficial to your development and learning process if you stay present and learn how to regulate your body. It's a dance, right? Like you can do that or you can be in something that is um, just really unhealthy and you're not going to even be able to focus on learning how to regulate your body. Extremely important extremely important because if you've experienced harm, you want to learn how to be gentle with yourself. You want to learn how to, you know, um, pick out the right tools and pick out the right relationships that is conducive to the nurturing and the healing that you need. As you may know, it's often very dramatic changes that lead someone to question if everything is okay. Once dramatic changes occur, people seek medical advice or begin to research and self-diagnose. Imagine if you didn't have to wait until it was too late. What if you knew the impact that shame, anger, guilt, sadness, loneliness, or disappointment had on your body? There are many indigenous Eastern African healing modalities that look to focus on the intangible medical physical aspects of one's beings, like emotions and spirituality as indicators of health. One of the many major strengths of Eastern medicine is the focus on balancing the energy in the body due to unsettled emotions. When one engages in ancient practice of acupuncture, takes Chinese herbs or engages in any traditional Chinese medical practice, you can receive healing treatment or interventions based on emotional experiences as opposed to strictly going in and sharing physical symptoms as one would do with a Western trained physician. 
Eastern medicine is built around the understanding that our body's physical states reflect the flow or stagnation of energy in our bodies. The flow or stagnation of energy is often a direct reflection of our emotional and spiritual experiences. So yes, you may be experiencing irritable bowel syndrome or having intense lower back pain. However, this may be a reflection of shame or anger that you can be carrying. Emotions affect energy flow, which translates to blood flow. Life is reflective of blood flow and oxygen. When stagnation or blockage of either of these exists, dysfunction or imbalance within our body's various systems and organs occur, thus manifesting in physical ailments. Now, let me tell y'all, I engage in traditional Chinese medicine, TCM. I am very grateful very, 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 very grateful that my best friend is a licensed traditional Chinese medical practitioner. So she practices um, acupuncture as well as moxie, as well as cupping, as well as acupressure. Um, and it has changed my life. Like it's literally changed my life. It's changed my body. It's positively impacted my mental health because it's constantly helped regulate me. Now, I'm not saying that acupuncture is for everyone. I'm not saying even if you have an intense emergency that it will fit. But I am saying that it's a beautiful science. It's a beautiful practice. And it would be something so worthwhile in you looking to. Okay. I mean, people are listening to this all over, but if you're ever in Los Angeles, California, I'm going to drop my acupuncturist name. Her name is Sandrina Bullet, and she has a private practice in El Segundo. Her practice is called The Healing Space. So you can find her at thehealingspace.com. Here's a caveat though. The A in space does not exist and you have to replace it with a dash, okay? Um, I've used acupuncture mainly for grief, depression, anxiety, and uh, my menstrual cycle. And when it comes to grief, depression, and anxiety, Doing that in conjunction with therapy has absolutely changed the baseline of my mental and emotional experience. Um, I don't know what happens. I don't completely know the science, but I know that it's really powerful. And there's a lot that I've been able to release in my body that I would have never known existed had it not been for acupuncture. <sighs> I'm going to take a deep breath. We're going to take a deep breath. Okay. At the page, at the bottom of page 142, consider the various systems that exist within our bodies, endocrine, circulatory, nervous, immune, reproductive, respiratory, and digestive systems, to name a few. Each of these systems is operating in its own capacity, but is connected to and impacted by the others. 
All in all, each system is operating to its current capacity because of what the brain is telling it to do. When it comes to our emotions, the brain has very specific instructions that it sends to each of those systems. When we experience different emotions, each experience releases hormones, which in turn impact every other system. Are you able to notice or feel what happens when you're angry? It's possible that your heart beats faster and you become more alert. That's what you immediately feel. But there are other activities going on like your fight or flight system being activated, stress stress hormones such as cortisone and adrenaline are released. Your blood vessels tighten, blood pressure increases, and your urine and bowel system temporarily shuts down. Because your body is wired to prepare to protect itself and ensure survival, your systems are prepped with what they need so you can be ready to fight or flee or fawn (laughs) or freeze. If anger is a frequent emotion, the physiological response could have lasting impacts on the heart and arteries, thus increasing your chance of heart attacks, heart disease, or other cardiovascular issues. Do you get that? I just want you to understand the role that your emotions play in your physical health, okay? Anger is one of many emotions that we have the capacity to experience. In 1970, psychologist Paul Ekman posed a theory for six basic emotions, which are happiness, sadness, disgust, fear, surprise, and anger. Most of our emotional experiences built up of these. Since the 70s, research has shown we experience emotions on a spectrum, and even some schools of thought believe we have 27 dimensions of emotions. One fact that all psychologists can agree upon is that there is a connection between emotions and physiology, okay? As someone looking to increase the capacity in which acceptance, compassion, celebration, and nurturing is practiced towards the self, it's important to know that your emotional experience matters. It's important to know that honoring your body includes honoring your emotions, Honoring your body includes honoring your emotions. Like, do you hear that? Because if we're talking about self-love and we're talking about esteem and we're talking about identity and you don't have any tools or content that allows you to feel empowered, then it defeats the whole purpose. So it's important for you to honor where you are, honor your emotions. It's important to be aware of the mind and body connection. So if you're feeling uncomfortably nervous or cautious about something or someone, you learn to trust that your upset stomach or headache is not just at random or coincidence. Like your body is literally communicating to you all the time. And sometimes we just be so busy, we don't even be paying attention. It's important to know that if you find yourself constantly feeling anxious around a person or in an environment, you take heed to that and either question why or explore the nature of the relationship. The constant state of anxiety may be an indicator that you may be in an unhealthy or unsafe relationship or environment, 
or that it may be necessary for you to explore if you can change your narrative or perception in relation to the person or environment. Far too often, we ignore or minimize the experiences of our hidden body, not even knowing that it is given us information that's important for our well-being. I love the notion that emotions are data, not directives. Our emotions are valid because they are being experienced for a reason. However, there are so many factors that impact our emotional experiences, such as our perception and previous experiences. We can sometimes have an emotional response based on past circumstances, emotional symbolism, as opposed to an objective connection to the stimulus. For example, it may be more natural for someone who to respond with fear or anxiety to a large spider as opposed to responding the same way if a burger was put on a plate in front of them. Both experiences are valid. However, they may be more of a psychological context as to why someone may respond in such a way with food in front of them. We can become more in tune with our hidden bodies. We can be more intentional with what we expose ourselves to. We can learn to dis- to, to just honor ourselves through intentional nurturing and care. For example, I, I know that I'm hypersensitive to others' pain. Therefore, I try to avoid movie shows and documentaries that profile torture, violence, or coercion at any time. Even if movies are for entertainment, I'm aware that my hidden body does not know the difference and my emotional body can be as activated seeing a child or woman in a movie being abused as it would if I saw someone on the street. This is also the reason why most videos that have gone viral displaying acts of harm and brutality have not been seen by me. I mean, I understand my personal history, right? When it comes to domestic violence, I understand my history as an individual in a black body, whether I've seen the violence or seen the torture in my lifetime or have experienced it in a past lifetime because of intergenerational trauma. So I am really mindful of watching these images, you know, doesn't mean that I may not watch a movie or a show from time to time that has some of these type of images in it, you know, around like violence and things of that nature, um, because clearly that's what a lot of action films are, hero stuff, you know, government stuff, whatever. However, I try not to inundate my system with that stuff, you know, and I actually try to balance that out with like some other imagery before or afterhand, okay? Honoring the body is being mindful of the content that triggers certain emotions, whether pleasant, neutral, or unpleasant. Just as mentioned above, your emotions trigger trigger physiological responses. Therefore, it's important to note that even if it's stimuli that you read, listen to, or watch, whether real or fiction, your body will still respond accordingly. You can overstimulate your body with certain emotional experiences, and that can have long-term effects. You know, sometimes people experience 
a sense of overwhelm and they don't know why they're overwhelmed or they experience a sense of melancholy and they don't know why, or they even experience anxiousness and they don't know why they experience anger and they don't know why, because you don't have to have a direct lived experience for emotions to come up in your body. And that's the thing that I'm just really trying to drive home for you. Okay. Going back to the example I used about being mindful of taking in content with violence. Research has shown that on average, we are more desensitized to suffering because we are constantly inundated with images of violence. Our sensory systems have been rushed with so much stimuli portraying violence or harm to another person that when most people see such content, it doesn't even have such a lasting effect on them. Inversely, for some people, consistent exposure may make someone hyper-aware and hypersensitive to the dangers of the world. Our brain learns how to decode and store information. This impacts what we perceive as a threat, harm, help, and everything in between. Now, of course, I'm utilizing the example of violence because I think that that's really common and for what ever reason i think us media is obsessed with violence like it's absolutely obsessed with violence um shows uh tv shows right um shows on your streaming services movies um video games like even the news we are absolutely fixated with violence now this episode is not to talk about why we have a fixation on violence, but I think it's important to understand when we're talking about honoring our bodies, it's it's really important to understand how much impacts what you feel physiologically and emotionally, as well as how you see yourself, right? As I mentioned that the body is often the gateway to people starting to explore what self-love means to them. I mean, we can take out violence and insert body image, right? And so if you are constantly inundated with any type of images promoting, degrading, magnifying, minimizing any particular uh, physical attributes or definitions of, you know, attractive aesthetic, that is going to impact you. No matter how much you say, oh, this is just entertainment, no matter how much you say, this is just that, like it's going to impact you. And it's just really, really, really important that you know that, okay? Let's take a couple of deep breaths. So if you are being mindful of the content you take in and how it impacts your relationship with your body, what are some things that you can do that improve, enhance, or deepen your love and acceptance of your body, right? You can definitely watch things that positively portray whatever you look like, 
is definitely one. You can definitely be mindful of watching content that seeks to honor, praise, and glorify um, the body in general, not necessarily um, from a place of just aesthetic, but from a place of like holism. And that's and that's really, really difficult. Um, when doing work with individuals with body dysmorphia, body image issues, or even uh, eating disorders, disorder eating, one thing that I encourage folks to do, especially that have a, a complicated relationship with their body, is focus on functionality. Right. So sometimes people go, oh, I don't like my stomach. I don't like my thighs. I don't like my jawline. I don't like that. This is too small. This is too big. I don't like that. This is shaped like this, whatever the case may be. And it's like, but let's think about the functionality of your tummy. Let's think about the functionality of your legs, of your thighs, of your arms, of your eyes, of, you know, your face. Like, what's the functionality of these things? Can you express gratitude for that? You know, one thing that I I do love about, like, superhero films is this notion that our bodies not necessarily because it can be it could be a double-edged sword you thinking that your body is limitless can be a de definitely a double-edged sword right but the fact that like there's a lot that you can do and that there's a lot of power that exists within your body i think is like really empowering now not to the degree of abusing your body or always pushing it to this limits because you don't you're not necessarily supposed to just be constantly pushing your body to the limits, right? There are limits for a reason. However, understanding that your body is powerful um, and it can heal itself and that it's this amazing mechanism working to protect you and keep you alive and thriving is really, really beautiful. Now, this second part that I wanna talk about this can be challenging for some people. So I really want you right now to take a couple of deep breaths. Okay. So we're on page 147 and I'm reading from the section healing from body-based trauma. Your body holds on to everything. Let me be more specific. Your body holds on to information that provides stimulating emotional experiences. Stimulating emotional experiences can perceived as positive or negative. This is why the emotions that arise when we interact with others gives us more information than the actual behaviors themselves. Our bodies hold on to joy, sadness, anger, jealousy, fear, and shame. Our body also knows what safe feels like, and that's why environments or people can both provide that same experience. Our bodies hold on to pleasant experiences as well as those that cause trauma and stress. Let me tell you something. I, I wrote this. I know this. I believe this. And I will also say more recently, I have began to pay even more attention to how my nervous system responds to certain people. 
So really being able to be in tune with your body as you're navigating your relationships, as you're navigating different interactions, different settings, um, is so important to understand what you need to do or be open to in order to heal or in order to release things to heal, right? If you don't realize that your body is in a state of imbalance or dysfunction or uneasiness, um, then you may not really be in tune to the impact of certain life experiences. In the previous section, we explored the hidden body. And I shared information about what happens physiologically when we experience different emotions. And knowing that our bodies have specific physiological responses, it's important to know when those physiological responses are matched with intense emotion, especially during key stages of psychological development or for extended periods of time. Not only do markers of our health shift, but the state of our biology can change. For the developing brain, Infancy to age four is possibly the most pivotal when it comes to a child's understanding of safety in the world. Though a child's cognitive abilities are fairly limited, a child is ruled by their emotional body. As they cry with hopes of a caregiver meeting their needs and suiting their distress, they begin to develop a narrative of how important their needs are. They also develop a narrative as to whether they are safe enough to depend on others. Lifelong narratives begin to form, not only in regards to the relationship with their caregivers, but also about their sense of safety or autonomy in the world. Now, some of you, if you're into learning about psychology and and uh, relationships, you may have heard of something called attachment theory. If you haven't, I would definitely recommend you look up attachment theory and learn a bit about it. Now, any theory means that it is just an idea, a set of ideas about how something works. Doesn't mean that it is fact. People do conduct research experiments um, to support theories, right? But they are they are not absolutes. Um, however, when it comes to attachment, this is a psychological theory that is heavily uh, relied upon when trying to understand why people act the way that they do in relationships, how they relate to others, why their romantic relationships are the way they are, why they express emotion certain way, etc. Um, and so attachment theory is very much based off of the ways that infants develop attachments to their caregivers based off of their needs being met. And essentially the patterns or the response patterns that caregivers have, whether caregivers are present or not, um, impact a person's ability to trust, feel safe, secure, and express themselves. And so as children, there are certain attachment 
patterns. And then as adults, there are certain attachment patterns. Your attachment pattern is not completely fixed, meaning it's not that it cannot change. Um, it can change. It can be a certain way up to adulthood. Then you have certain experiences that shift that, whether for the positive or the not so positive. Um, but it can it can be repaired. It can, it can be shifted. Uh, it's not fixed. But just like any behavioral change, it's really hard <laughs> to do that, especially when you're hardwired that way. The body is hypersensitive to the world beginning in the womb. Research suggests that fetuses are impacted by the childbearer's movements, as well as sounds that surround the childbearer's body. People like to talk to or give music, you know, allow music to be listened to for the growing fetus because they know and believe this information to be true. What we don't talk about is what happens when there are unpleasant noises. What if the child bearer is in an environment or constantly interacts with someone where aggressive yelling words are constantly exchanged? That impacts the fetus as well. After birth, the sensitivity continues as the infant's brain is developing. If there is violence or any aggressive behaviors, whether verbal or physical, those also impact the baby. Increases it creates an experience of emotional instability and can bring forth internal experiences of fear, worry, and alertness within the infant. The infant does not know what safety looks like, however, may have a scarred relationship with what safety does not look like. If being exposed to violence or abuse is something that becomes normalized over time, it creates a baseline experience for the child. Children are off, who are often exposed to violence or abuse at a very tender age are more likely to become perpetrators or victims of violence or abuse. These experiences leave imprints on the brain and literally cause change on a cellular level. They may have higher tolerances of pain because of the desensitization that occurs or can be extremely sensitive to any stimuli that have remnants of the violence or abuse they've previously experienced. In full disclosure, that, that I'm, I'm definitely the second one. <laughs> I am extremely sensitive to anything that remotely resembles um, aggression or abuse, which going back to me sharing about me selectively watching like violent content, that's part of that. Like it, it's part of that because of my own lived experience. And I think it's part of that because of experience that I don't cognitively have any type of like conscious memory of, right? But it's held within my body. Um, but to the first point, I do think that I have higher tolerance of pain. Well, when I was younger, have higher tolerance of pain. And, and that is like emotional pain. And I will also say maybe physical pain as well. Um, I just had a higher tolerance for stuff in general. And I think that as I began to explore work around body and the trauma that I realized that my baseline was abnormally high. Um, and so how this looks for people, um, you know, sometimes people 
they may want to experience pain to one to numb themselves but they also might want to experience pain to be able to feel alive because they're so desensitized so i'm not saying that every person that gets tattoos or has piercings you know are like trauma survivors i'm not saying that however there are people that um because of certain traumatic experiences that they've had, they do become physically desensitized to things and using tools that create some sensation of pain in their body. Um, this could be piercings, this could be tattoos for some people um, that are into kink of uh, BDSM, like this could be that for them. Right. So people who like to use um, more pain during sexual experiences um, or like to be choked or grabbed or pulled or chained or, you know, put in some uh, position where like pain um, and bondage is applied. Um, sometimes those are also people that psychologically this is something that's allowing them to feel alive because their body is so desensitized, right? So it, it's really interesting the impact, again, that early experiences have on our ability to tolerate certain stimuli. When the experience of trauma occurs, our fight or flight system is activated. Um, and Going into that a little bit more, at the time that I wrote this, I was very much aware of fight or flight. There are actually two other responses that some researchers have uncovered, which are fawn and freeze. Okay. And so fawn is when there is a threat of danger. Um, or you know, a threat to safety, and a person goes into a caretaking mode. And the caretaking mode allows you to protect yourself by maybe de-escalating um, what's going on. So this makes me think of like, if someone is angry, you automatically go to, okay, I'm so sorry, you know, what can I do to help you, right? As opposed to running away, as opposed to yelling at them, right? You're trying to soothe them, take care of them, so that instinctively it decreases your chance of being harmed. Or it makes me think of, I know that um, my love from afar, uh, Will Smith has disclosed a couple of times how his father was a batterer and um, he ended up learning how to lean into his gift of being funny to bring a sense of lightness to the home or, you know, um, did, did, um, what's the word I want to use? Bring down the intensity of his father's anger, right? Deescalate what his father was expressing. And so that would be like a fawn uh, response. And then freeze are people who kind of get into like a, per a state of paralysis. They don't really know what to do. They shut down. They have nothing to say. They don't know where to really go. Um, and they just, they just freeze, okay? 
with trauma or any experience that ignites a sense of fear or panic, our body our bodies either respond in preparation to fight, run, or freeze or fawn. <laughs> if the situation leaves a psychological impact on us, our fight or flight functions can become desensitized or hypersensitive. We can con constantly be on edge looking for emotional or physical threats. We can perceive an interaction to be a threat when it's not because our minds are hypersensitive or extra cautious. We can also be emotionally detached from stimuli that would typically cause fear or panic because our fight or flight system has become too activated in the past. And the best way for us to protect ourselves is to emotionally shut down so that we don't deal with pain. Take a couple of deep breaths if you need to, okay? I think these points are really important when we're talking about especially how we relate to our own pain when we're in relationships, no matter the relationship, right? Because also people are mirrors for us um, in all the best ways and in all the uncomfortable ways. So it's really important to understand this, um, even connecting back to the hidden body, right? Like if there are certain things that you're seeing, hearing, watching, it's going to activate these parts of your brain that are most re responsive to images or stimuli that remind your brain of the trauma. So also very, very important. You don't want to unnecessarily activate shit you don't need to activate, right? When your brain has certain responses, especially if you're a trauma survivor, your a lot of your livelihood is based off of survival, like, how do you protect yourself, right? So it's it's important to know that if you're doing things that dishonor your body, aka if you're doing things that unhealthily um, activate responses that have you feeling like you need to survive or perform so that you're accepted or mask yourself so that, um, you know, you can be able to do what you want, get what you want to live the life that you want. Like it, it becomes damaging to your mental health and your body over time. Um, and, and this could be a lot of different things, right? Because acceptance is important. People want to feel accepted. We're social creatures. You know, I always think it's so interesting. People are like, I don't give a fuck what people say. Like, okay, sure. Okay. So I guess you're not fucking human because as social creatures, like to be accepted is just part of our biology. So when you're ostracized, you're not fucking accepted. And like, yeah, you can get to a point where you become okay with that, but that is not the natural response, right? And if that is quote unquote your natural response, that's more so because you've read and listened to things um, or seen people that have lived life beyond, you know, some 
box but just from a scientific standpoint like we are driven by connection we are driven by acceptance and we are driven to be included in the group even if we have the characteristics or are prone to displaying leadership we still want to be able to be connected to our group and effectively lead our group. So it's it's really important to understand this. For someone who has grown up in or has had multiple experiences in having exposure to or involvement in abuse, your brain functions a bit differently than someone who has not had the same experiences. I need you to understand that. Like as a trauma survivor, like your fucking brain has changed. <laughs> like it's it's not it's not what you think it is and i like to emphasize this to people all the time especially when i'm seeing clients because they get frustrated that they can't just quote unquote change something about themselves or you know they can't just change a thought process or why won't they just choose this or why won't they just choose that and it's like you're fucking fighting science like this is your brain like it takes a lot to rewire the brain the brain can create new connections so easily but to destroy old connections um in hopes that the new connections will overpower the old ones it takes a lot of discipline a lot of consistency and most importantly time like time is the biggest factor when it comes to behavior change that's why coaches that's why people who focus on behavior change they they emphasize the importance of a regimen um and small acts of discipline over time because you know it's it's the timing that's going to be the biggest factor your your brain needs a little bit of something a little bit of something every day a little bit of something every day so even when we're talking about you learning how to honor your body that's why i say like giving yourself one affirmation of day or acknowledging one thing that you're grateful for in your body, um, hugging your body, um, you know, uh, putting nutrients in your body, um, just a little a day that just make you feel better. Like all these little things, they add up over time. The way that you process safety is different. The means that you go about ensuring your sense of safety is different because the sense of fear underlines all your interactions. You may find yourself being overly agreeable, self-sacrificing or forgiving as to not upset others in hopes that they don't cause you harm. You essentially play peacemaker and present as pleasantly as possible as to ensure that no one will do anything to say or hurt you. You can also be on the other side of the coin where you take control of relationships and often engage as an aggressor, likewise to protect yourself so that no one can say or do anything to harm you. Experiencing abuse can leave you feeling helpless. However, helplessness does not ensure survival. So your brain uses its internal resources to ensure what is the best way that I can stay alive. I know that that's going to fucking hit somebody and I want you to take a couple of deep breaths with that because what happens is you're like, oh, I'm gonna be a victim because I've been a victim and these are all the ways that the world is harming me. Or some people are like, fuck that victim shit. I ain't about to be the victim. I'm gonna be the aggressor. You can't do this to me. You're not gonna be able to treat me this way and I'm gonna take control of things. 
And so it it the responses do often become black and white, but it's important as we deconstruct these responses and thought patterns that we have that we learn to find the balance, right? Like it's important to acknowledge, yes, what people do to you. It's also important to acknowledge the power that you have. And it's also important to acknowledge that everything doesn't have to be about power. It doesn't have to be. Even if it's been years beyond your experience of abuse, your body is hypervigilant and hypersensitive to the slight changes in others' bodies, language, or tone. You pick up cues in ways others don't because you are now wired in a way that says the world and people around me are not safe. Beyond your hypervigilance, those emotions of fear may bring on anger, sadness, and shame, which consequently have long-term impacts on your body. These emotions you have held onto, if you have not processed the trauma, can lead to chronic pains, cancers, cardiovascular diseases, immune illnesses, and more. If you recall, when I discussed the ACE study in an earlier chapter, I shared how researchers found that having four or more adverse childhood experiences increased one's chances of developing certain physical and mental health outcomes. It is because of this mind-body connection. Now, if you have the book, then you know what I'm talking about. If you don't have the book, then go ahead, go on Amazon, get the book so you can know what I'm talking about in a study. If you don't want to pull out the book, if you don't want to get the book, but you want to know, I just want to encourage you to, to Google ACE. That's A as in Apple, C as in California, E as in everybody. Okay. Google a study. Um, watch YouTube video by Dr. Nadine Burks. Um, on the ACE study, and it will blow your mind, okay? Uh, last paragraph I'm going to read. If the experience of certain emotions poses a threat to or compromises any of your internal systems to overwork, they may eventually weaken and increase the chances of certain physical ailments. In 2014, psychiatrist Bessel van der Kolk published the highly esteemed and groundbreaking book, The Body Keeps the Score. In it, van der Kolk provides great detail on his research and working with individuals with post-traumatic stress disorder. He shares how his research reveals the complexities of the social, emotional, and mental health challenges with, which come with surviving trauma. Due to the extent there are long-lasting impacts on sleep, concentration, problem-solving, relationship building, goal-setting, intimacy, and chronic pain. We know that trauma has many physical effects because research has shown that the body keeps the score of what it has endured. The source of trauma can create different types of responses and physical experiences. Trauma based in the body, such as that caused by physical abuse, sexual abuse, assault, burning, gunshot, stabbing, or by some type of force is literally held within the body. These experiences leave behind both physical and emotional wounds. So with all this information, the question is, how do you heal? How do you learn how to honor your body despite the trauma it has survived? I'm gonna stop there because there's so much more in this section that I really love and would love to get into, but you can go ahead and buy the book. Um, what I will say is leaving you with these questions. I want you to understand that it's not impossible to heal your body. It's not impossible for you to release 
all the things that your body has held on to, right? With all this research, I know that it can seem alarming, like, well, then shit, what the fuck is the point, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I always tell people it, it's about a spectrum of experience, right? So it's just like if somebody was coming to me therapy and they're like, okay, I need some coping tools. Um, my anxiety is often on a 10, right? And we start working together. And they're like, let's say we're working together three months. And they're like, oh my gosh, I'm still having anxiety. Like nothing has changed. Okay, well, I've been checking in with you. When you first started, your anxiety was operating at a 10. Now it's at a seven. Yeah, but it's still high. Yeah, but it's not a 10, <laughs> right? And so the thing is we can put practices in place that help decrease the intensity of the impact of these lived experiences. And those changes, those shifts, even if minor, still make a difference over time. So what are things that you can do to honor your body or heal your body? Well, like I already mentioned a thousand times, being mindful of content that you engage in. Watch, listen to, um, read, right? It's If you're going to come across some content that's reflective of the dark perils of humanity, then I would recommend um, doubling or tripling the amount of content that you ingest that is positive, right? So if you're going to watch one movie that's like a true crime show or something, what would y'all be watching this stuff nowadays? Then can you go ahead and watch like three really corny, funny, warm and fuzzy movies? <laughs> like, you know, like balance it out that way, right? If you're going to listen to this music about drugs and taking advantage of people and, you know, money and all this stuff and not giving a fuck about anybody. Okay, fine, whatever. But could you listen to at least three songs that are, you know, empowering? Or And you might say that those songs are empowering. I get that. I'm not judging your music. Um, but in the way that doesn't demean someone, right? Because to listen or watch someone, um, demean someone else or put themselves on a platform in order to empower is not true empowerment. Okay. Um, so yeah, balance out the stuff, right? Maybe even listening to music that doesn't have lyrics, um, that make you feel peaceful, that make you feel hopeful, that make you feel joyful can be really important. I know some people don't even know how to connect to joy. And if you don't, that that's totally fine. Um, you know, it could be doing something or being around some type of service activity, something that has to do with helping someone else. Um, you know, and, and what about the healing piece? Well, things that are held, you want to release. So you can do that by movement right? Dancing, um, walking, you know, working out in some kind of way, stretching, um, taking ritual baths or showers or going into nature, using sound healing, going to my favorite thing, absolutely, absolutely acupuncture, star, 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 star. You can go into acupuncture for absolutely any um, emotional 
experience that you're having. And if you have a great acupuncturist, they'll be able to give you a treatment based off of that. Honoring your body is how you speak to it, how you look at it, how you treat it, what you put on it, what you put in it, who you allow to touch you, who you allow to enter your body, um, whose body you're entering in, you know, um, all these things, right? And so I hope that you got some really good information today, you know, um, when we have trauma attached to our body, it's hard. It's really hard. And a lot of people have trauma. A lot of their trauma is centered in their body, you know, when it comes to, like I mentioned, abuse or sexual assault. So it's like, you can't escape your body. It's there. But like putting in practices to release what the body has held on to is really, really important. So that's it for Honor Thy Body. Um, make sure to share this. Make sure to really digest it. Make sure to take some time and pause and journal and reflect on some of the things that I said. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. Feel free to email me or send me a message. B-U at livethebelife.com. Um, that's B-E-Y-O-U at livethebelife.com. Feel free to follow me. Um, personally, I'm not posting on the Be Life right now. So that would be at Tiff, T-I-F-F, Inspires. That's all, y'all. Well, y'all, that's the end of today's episode. I hope that you got something from it. Thank you so much for your support. Please make sure to like, follow, subscribe, share this with a friend. I am accessible via my website, www.livethebelife.com. You can feel free to shoot me an email. If you want to subscribe to my newsletter, I send out newsletters once or twice a month. I'm on Instagram and Twitter handle at the T-H-E underscore B-E underscore life. Also have a Facebook page. All my products are available online on Amazon, but they're also listed on my website. Hope that you move forward in your day, in your week, feeling connected to yourself and grounded. Hope that you just stay aware of the shifts that are going on within and around you because they're always happening. Don't forget, seek to shift, seek to grow, seek to be you. Until next time, be well.